After the sermon, we'll respond to the proclamation of the gospel by singing together the last three stanzas of Psalm 145. We'll sing stanzas three, four, and five. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think that this congregation and also mine, we've, we've been somewhat close together in our uh, work through the Heidelberg Catechism, and so I imagine that it wasn't too long ago that you have had uh, a sermon on Lord's Day 48, but the glory of the kingdom of heaven is certainly something that fills our hearts with joy, and so even if you've heard one on the coming of the kingdom of God quite recently, I think it's okay that we hear this again. And I did just preach this one in my own congregation, so all things considered, it is indeed a blessing to hear from the word of God the magnitude and splendor of his glorious kingdom. I don't think we can have too much of this. Now, we do well before we really get into the meat of this petition to reflect, as no doubt we do often when we uh, consider the Lord's Prayer, the nature of this prayer that Jesus has taught us. He gave us uh, a prayer that doesn't contain every single uh, request we could ever make of him. It doesn't contain every word that we could ever utter in prayer, but rather he's given us sort of a template that contains all of the things that we need to pray. And when we consider the, the structure of the prayer that Jesus has given us, it's actually quite a wonderful way that he has taught us to pray. Jesus, our Lord and our teacher, he has taught us to pray in such a way that all of the things that are appropriate and, and, and necessary for prayer, so things like, things like uh, adoring God, giving him words of praise, uh, things like confessing our sins, humbling ourselves before him, uh, things like giving him thanksgiving, and then finally requests, petitions as well. All of these things are included in this beautiful template for prayer that he gave us. And he included all of these things in the form of requests. So even the worship, the adoration, the obedience that we render to God out of the thankfulness for what he has you know, done for us, even that obedience that is required of us is something that we request of him and we depend on him for us to be able to fulfill these things. We ask God through prayer to bring these things about in our lives. And so in teaching us to pray with this template, Jesus has taught us so very clearly that we rely on God for everything. God is very gracious to us. He does something in our lives. He, he performs a wonderful act of salvation for us, and we react to that, but we acknowledge here that even our godly reaction is a work of God, and it's something that we need him to bring about in us. What a teacher we have in Jesus Christ that he would teach us to pray in this way. 
So here in the second petition, Jesus has taught us to ask that God would do in his kingdom what is in his perfect will and what is in his power, but we are especially asking God that he would bring something about in us, bring something about in us that is in accord with the wonderful and beautiful nature of his kingdom. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, help us to live in your kingdom well as you rule your kingdom. You might say that that's sort of a summarized version of what we're asking God to bring about. Help us to live well, live faithfully in your kingdom while you rule your kingdom. We need to have an understanding of what it means that God is king and that he has a kingdom and that he's ruling his kingdom. And when we can see that God as king ruling his kingdom has a tremendous effect in this world in which we live, that this has a tremendous effect in our lives, then we react to this with with an eagerness and with a joy of living in his kingdom. So in order to have that eagerness and joy and, and amazement at the wonder of God's kingdom, we would have to really understand what is meant by the kingdom of God, don't we? Because if God's kingdom is something that's just out there, if it's something ethereal, if it's if it's something that never really touches down here in our lives, then why would it be, why would it weigh on our hearts? Why would we have a sense of urgency of praying, let your kingdom come, Lord God, Father in heaven? Why is this urgent for us this afternoon? So this is a good place for us to start this afternoon with an understanding of what the kingdom of God is. What is it? Is it just an idea? Is it something that we can't see? It's just something that we believe in? Is it something that maybe isn't here yet, but only exists in the future? Well, we believe that God created this world, and as the creator, as the sustainer of this world, God has always been the king of all creation. And in the beginning, we recognize from his word that his kingdom was just as it should be. At the very beginning, there was a wonderful harmony between creator and creatures. There was perfect loyalty to the authority of the creator. There was no disobedience to his laws. Perfect righteousness, perfect justice was administered in his kingdom. There was no injustice or crime anywhere. That was how God created this world. And, and what a beautiful kingdom it was. How wonderful to inhabit a place like that, right? And of course, if creation had stayed like that, then we actually wouldn't have a reason to pray what we're praying this afternoon, that God's kingdom would come. But we know that something happened. Something happened such that, that God doesn't rule his kingdom now in precisely the same way that he did at the beginning. Yes, God continues to rule. God still has all authority, but 
his kingdom isn't perfect anymore, even though God is still God and he is still the king of all creation. So what happened? Well, I'm sure the kids understand what I'm sort of getting at. What happened at the very beginning that made the kingdom of God to not be perfect anymore? Well, the sin of mankind broke that perfect perfect state of the kingdom of God, our parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against God and interrupted that that perfect harmony. Really, we have to sort of understand this as they committed treason against the king. Have you ever thought about that in in that way? That sin against God at the very beginning was an act of, of treason against the king of the kingdom of heaven. They rejected his authority, they rejected his rule, and they began to serve and obey a different ruler, and that ruler is Satan himself. This is the effect of the fall into sin. God, even though he still has all authority and power, he gave human beings what they asked for, a king who was not him. And so because of that sin, the relationship was broken. And instead of remaining in good and loyal and loving subjection to our good king, they became subjects of Satan's dominion. A new kingdom of evil was allowed to exist and have dominion on earth. This is something that Jesus acknowledges during his earthly ministry. He acknowledges the authority that Satan was allowed to have over this world. When he arrives in Jerusalem as the king, he arrives as the Messiah of God. He says this about all that. John 12, 27 through 31, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. And others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now listen to this. He says, now is the judgment of the world. Now, the, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So, when the Son of God enters the world incarnate as a man, he comes as a king, as the king, the one who is reestablishing the rule of God on earth after thousands of years under the dominion of Satan. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be thrown out. Satan's time is over. There's a new ruler now. This is the great message that Jesus was bringing when he, began to te- when he began to preach. We read this in Matthew and in Isaiah. So I'm sure you noticed that, uh, that the Gospel of Matthew quotes that prophecy of Isaiah showing that this is what was promised and this is what was being fulfilled, speaking about the divine king who was going to come and do this. The people living in darkness are seeing a great light. The people who had been living 
under this horrible rule of Satan, living in this kingdom of darkness and evil, they have seen a great light. Why? It's because the kingdom of Satan was was finally going to be overthrown. Satan was finally going to be kicked off his throne on earth, and the divine king was taking his place. The king is returning. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government, right, rule, power, authority, this will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. No more this Prince of Darkness that we're, you know, we're, we're living under his thumb. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's the message that Jesus brings. The time has come. Finally, it's happening. No more is Satan going to have dominion in this world. The divine king has arrived, born as a baby, And he has begun his work. And then the last verse of that uh, passage from Matthew 12 that we read, verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the world has been serving this prince of darkness, living according to evil, following him, but now the true king has returned. So repent, turn away from following him, the prince of darkness, turn away from living in sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Be loyal to him, the true king of the world, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he came and he carried out all of this work that he came to do. He showed his authority Over the prince of darkness, he he showed this by casting out demons, by ordering them around, ordering demons to do his will. He demonstrated that he is the king of all creation. He healed diseases. He, He commanded the wind and the waves. He proclaimed justice and peace and compassion. At the beginning of his ministry in in Luke 4, when he goes to the synagogue, he, he reads another portion from Isaiah. He says, the the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the captives, freedom for those who are in chains, sight for the blind, and so many other wonderful things for people who have been oppressed living in the kingdom of darkness. These things are at hand. These things are going to prevail finally. And how did he achieve this? How did he acquire the subjects for his kingdom? Well, he made atonement for the sins of the world. He did it by giving his life, by shedding his blood, so that we, subjects of the king, we could be pardoned for our sin, pardoned for our treason against the king, so that we wouldn't be tried in this heavenly tribunal and and condemned as traitors, but we would be given a full and gracious 
pardon. And we would be given a good standing as honorable citizens of this glorious kingdom. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's what Jesus is still bringing about. He is gathering citizens into his kingdom. And he's making us suitable for life in that kingdom with him. He's taken us who are enemies. And he's making good citizens out of us. What a wonderful turn of events for all of us. What a glorious story of power and justice and might and compassion and and the depths of the love of God. What a king Jesus is and how good it is to be one of his subjects. I love living in his kingdom. That's what's meant by the coming of the kingdom of heaven. That's why the message is urgent. Are we going to live in his kingdom? Are we going to live in the kingdom of darkness? The world was in subjection to sin and evil. It was under the prince of darkness, Satan himself, and Jesus came to get rid of him for our sake and to begin to restore all things to glory. This is his mission, the mission of Jesus. We read about the goal of of that mission that he's been given in 1 Corinthians 15. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, and then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. There will be a day when every last enemy of King Jesus Christ will have been rooted out, defeated, banished from the kingdom, and when every last citizen of the kingdom is gathered into it and pardoned and renewed with his spirit. And when all that's completed, he hands that kingdom back to his father, and there begins this era of perfection and full glory. Eternal life in that kingdom in which heaven and earth are joined together in perfect harmony. God the king lives with his people. He makes us co-rulers in his kingdom. He will be our God and be with us in a more intimate way than we could ever imagine. I want to live in that kingdom. We do live in that kingdom. We have a taste of the fullness of that kingdom right now. It has begun. It's underway. This is, this is what we are participating in now, today, as the church. When the world sees the life of the church, they should see a preview of life in the kingdom of heaven. And it's wonderful. It's beautiful. You know, when 
when people don't understand the character of God, his holiness, his his justice and righteousness, and then they speak about how God deals with his enemies, the harshness of the punishment that God has ordained for sin. There is a lack of understanding about what is actually going on here when when people set themselves against God and reject him. There's a misunderstanding about the seriousness of sin. Most people would not hesitate, they would not bat an eye to approve of swift punishment for political traitors. You know, if you have, a, if you have someone today who would try to overthrow a government, or let's say there is a very good king who is ruling, the best king that ever ruled, an earthly king, just, just a man, and everyone loves this king. He's beloved by all of his subjects. And if someone tried to assassinate him, or let's say someone was successful and assassinated that king, people wouldn't bat an eye, bat an eye at the, the justice, the swift justice that would be prepared for him. Usually there is a swift execution for an attempted or a successful assassin of the crown. That's proper, right? This is God we're talking about here. If we would want that sort of heavy and swift justice for someone who who would commit treason against a good earthly king, how much more is justice necessary in God's divine kingdom? Yes, justice is appropriate. We have to consider, too, an enemy of of God, someone who rejects God as somebody who rejects peace. Someone is an enemy of the peace of the kingdom of heaven. It must be an absolute comfort for us to know that God's kingdom will prevail against every evil, that his kingdom will prevail against every enemy who wants to shatter the peace of life in God's world. This is what we pray for when we pray, let your kingdom come. This is what we read in Lord's Day 48. We read that, or we pray that God would destroy the works of the devil, destroy every power that raises itself against you, destroy every conspiracy against your holy word. We have something similar in Lord's Day 19. That's uh, in connection with the line in the Apostles' Creed where we confess, from there he will come to judge. This is Jesus Christ, our King. He will come to judge the living and the dead. What does that mean? It means he will cast all of his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but take us into heavenly joy and glory. We shouldn't shy away from speaking about this. This is serious business. This is a matter of great urgency. There are only two ways to live on earth, and we we react to the evil way of the world just way too softly. We don't want to offend anybody. We've sort of taken taken on this 
this social politeness that nobody can ever say anything negative about anybody's choices. Just affirm everybody, whatever they do. How dare you condemn any action? Just mind your own business. Let people do what they want to do. This is a matter of life and death for all of us. This is not a matter of personal preference. This is a matter of living under our divine king and being subject to his rule, his good and loving rule. Jesus is, in fact, the king. Whether people accept that or not, Jesus is the king. And so much more because he is God, our loving God and Lord, he must be obeyed and honored. To reject him isn't just any treason, but it's divine treason. And if people are living right now as enemies of the divine crown, that should concern us, that should break our hearts. Our hearts should break for those who are going to be judged as traitors and enemies of God. We should be eager to to speak about how good our king is. We should desire so, so strongly to be instruments in God's hands so that they can see the goodness of Jesus Christ and how wonderful it is to walk in his ways, to have him as our king, as our savior. He is the one who takes his enemies and makes friends out of them. That's what he did for me. That's what he did for you. And we should be so zealous to see more of this for people around us. God is merciful. God, God forgives traitors who ask him for forgiveness, and he transforms them into loyal and joyful subjects in his kingdom. How badly do we want the re, that reality of that life in his kingdom, that perfection? We want to see it so badly that the kingdom is in all its glory, unveiled, finished, completely gathered together. We pray fervently that the kingdom of heaven would come. We trust. We trust that God is bringing these things about, that he is putting all things under the feet of his son, Jesus Christ. He's bringing about all of the things that must take place until the end. But we also pray, we also pray that God will bring it about now that our hearts are turned toward him in loyalty and love. That's the first line in Lord's Day 48. So rule us, rule us, Heavenly Father, by your word and by your spirit so that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. I want to end this sermon by exhorting every single one of you to consider the importance of the kingdom of God in your heart. What place does the kingdom of God have in your heart? This is the greatest story that has ever been told. This is the greatest story that ever could be told. 
You know, we get goosebumps when, when we encounter things that are transcendent and glorious. Even when they're fictional, made-up stories. Stories of the triumph of good over evil. You know, stories like the Lord of the Rings or things like that. Things that transcend normal, mundane life. Or even very true stories of great kingdoms and empires and rulers in the history of the world. When we, when we can be a part of that somehow, hearing those stories, being inspired by them, we get goosebumps over this stuff. The grandeur of, of the noble themes that are in play, the weight of the things that are at stake. Our hearts get lifted up above the normal monotony of life and we participate in some way, even if it's just as an audience. We participate in some way in something greater and grander, the triumph of good over evil. But this, this, the coming of the kingdom of heaven, this is more weighty and famous and and superb than any story that could ever be conceived. And it really is a matter of life and death for everyone. And every once in a while, we get get a taste of how this touches down in our lives and grips us. When I preached this sermon in Providence, in that service, we had the baptism of a little girl, a little infant, And we were reminded of how monumental a day it was for all of us. Think of all of the little babies that have been baptized in this congregation recently. This is powerful. On that day, as Providence Church, we welcomed another citizen officially into the kingdom of heaven. Another royal princess of heaven. And on that day, during that sacrament of baptism, there's a prayer that's included in in that form. We prayed in so many words after her baptism that the kingdom would come for her. May this little child, this daughter of God, this is in that prayer, may she live in all righteousness under our only teacher, King and High Priest, Jesus Christ. We prayed, may she valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. May she forever praise and magnify you and your son, Jesus Christ, this princess of heaven. This is something that that we need to pray for, for for each one of us. Pray, Pray this for each other constantly with unparalleled urgency that each one of you would live this way under your king. This is your life. This is your duty and mission as redeemed and pardoned subjects of King Jesus. So many of us just have no consciousness of this in our day-to-day life. We don't even think about it. We make earthly stuff everything. Where is your heart? Where is your allegiance? What is most important? What king do you serve? 
Does Jesus Christ, King of heaven and earth, does he have the highest place of honor in your hearts? Or are you sitting on the throne in your hearts? Or have you filled the throne in your hearts with all kinds of worthless junk? Are you concerned that people you love, people you know, are you concerned that they may be found guilty of treason on the day of the Lord against the divine crown? How urgent is it for you that they learn who Jesus is and how wonderful life in his kingdom is? Are you conscious of the constant spiritual warfare that is happening in your life and in the life of people that you love and care about? It's happening. It's there. We're warned of this in Ephesians 6. The Apostle Paul warns us, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil because he wants you in his kingdom. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is serious business. You have become a citizen in the kingdom of heaven and the king is calling you to your duty. He has taught you by his word. He's given you understanding through his spirit how to live and how to fight alongside him while he is putting all his enemies under his feet. How have you prioritized that? How deep and meaningful is this petition for you? Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Lord God, King of all creation, take your place in our hearts as our King, our King whom we love and serve. May we submit to you in all things, and may you equip us to discharge our royal duties with eagerness and with thanksgiving. Amen.